Kelly Dodson was asleep with her little girl inside their apartment on Webster Drive when I was attacked by some idiot from out here in the projects. Dodson says her attacker used a garbage can to climb onto the unit's ledge, open the upstairs window, and then he got in bed with her. He, he tried to rape me. He tried to pull my clothes off. Dodson struggled with her attacker, knocking over items in her bedroom. Antoine Dodson heard his sister scream and ran to help. Well, obviously we have a rapist in Lincoln Park. He's climbing in your windows. He's snatching your people up, trying to rape them. So y'all need to hide your kids, hide your wife, and hide your husband because they're raping everybody out here. The attacker got loose and went out the upstairs window, but he did leave something behind. We got your t-shirt. You didn't fingerprints and all. You are so dumb. You are really dumb. For real. A crime scene investigator photographed and dusted for prints on the lid of the garbage can and the window pane and ledge. Dodson says he's never seen the perp before, but sends this warning to whoever is responsible. You don't have to come and confess that you did it. We're looking for you. We, we going to find you. I'm letting you know now so you can run and tell that, homeboy. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Inane. Holy crap, so much went down yesterday. Facebook announces that they're creating an umbrella company for all of their products, right? So people can stop calling them Facebook. <laughs> Philip Morris had to do this after all the negative press that they got, if you remember. Then the kid who shot up Parkland thir uh, three years ago was the worst school shooting since Columbine. He strolls into court and says, all right, you got me. I did it. I did all of it. But I'm sorry, and I want a second chance. Then the parents of Brian Laundrie stroll into a Florida park the day after it reopens, and they find his belongings in 30 minutes, which prompts the coroner's office to show up because there are human remains all over the place. We have police, practically everyone in North America, internet sleuths up the ass, the FBI, Dog the Bounty Hunter, all these people can't find Brian Laundry, But the parents, they stroll into a park and find his shit in half an hour. But the whole story is fishier than the seafood counter at a discount food store. None of this adds up. Chances are strong that what, that what they found is it's going to end up being him. As where they found his remains was underwater some time ago. So he was more than likely attacked by a croc or a gator or something. Horrible thought, but that's what they're thinking. So don't be surprised. He was in a dangerous place, man. That's like walking through Harlem wearing a Ku Klux Klan hoodie. You're just asking for it. And this was all before noon. Like, Jesus, I'm just a couple of minutes in. I'm already exhausted. Colin Powell died over the weekend. It's never good to hear the news of a political figure passing away. And politics aside, say what you will about his involvement in the Iraq war and the whole weapons of mass destruction debacle. But he was a solid figure. He was a true patriot. And when I got that news, it, it made me a little sad. He even admitted that the whole Iraq war and his involvement in that was the single greatest regret that he had in his life. But what pissed me off were how the headlines were framed. 
It was typical clickbait. Colin Powell dies at 84 from COVID complications. He was fully vaccinated. That was the headline. They'll say that, but leave out the fact that the man had a weakened immune system because he'd been battling blood cancer. Leave out the part about him being fully vaccinated. I don't have a problem with it. But throw that in, and it just becomes more fodder for the people who argue about getting the vaccine because people don't read articles anymore. They read headlines, and that's it. I know you can't include everything in a headline, but leaving out that vital part of the story, knowing that so many people get their news from simply reading headlines, that's the worst. I've gotten wise to you people. I see this stuff all the time. Headline, my girlfriend admitted she's been keeping a secret and I don't think our relationship will ever be the same. Read the article? Turns out she hasn't voted in the last two elections. Or, like, save $75 on your monthly cable bill with this one easy trick. You read the article, basically they're telling you to cut cable. It's ridiculous. The internet's ridiculous. Got a text. This is great. Got a text from a friend of mine this morning, right? Her grandson had his immunizations yesterday. And he was up all night with soreness, super fidgety, just miserable. So she picks him up this morning because she's going to take care of him for the day. The poor kid was not good, okay? So she puts on inane in the car. Suddenly, he's smiling and giggling. You want to know how great that made me feel? That my voice, my filthy potty jokes, calmed a small child down? And it's funny, too, because I was already going to talk about this. People used to write to me and tell me how much their kids enjoyed listening to my life as a foodie. And it would make me feel really good. But then I'd remember how filthy some of my jokes were. This show's way worse. I used to bleep my curse words out on that show because I I didn't want to carry the explicit tag. But then I just gave up. (laughs) I was going to tell my friend this morning, don't blame me if one of the first words out of his mouth is motherfucker instead of mama. Could you imagine the, uh, the baptism? I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Motherfucker! (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Jesus, what the hell's wrong with me? I used to get so much shit for cursing, even on my YouTube videos. There was one I posted on how to cure and smoke uh, homemade pastrami, and I used one single curse word, and the roof caved in. Your videos would be so much more enjoyable if you didn't curse. I told the guy to grow the fuck up. If you don't like my language, don't watch. Don't listen. Bourdain cursed his ass off. David Chang has a filthy mouth. People didn't seem to have a problem with that. Let's go back to watching Rachel Ray, you pussy. I just don't see the problem. It's not like I, I, I don't have an extensive vocabulary. I just think cursing's funny. It amps up the comedic aspect of what I do. If it's offensive, I'm sorry. But I do my best to carry the explicit tag, even if I don't curse. I just don't want to be blamed for teaching kids how to use bad words. But hey, allow me to tell you a little secret. Let me fill you in on something. I spent a good amount of time volunteering at elementary and middle school functions. And kids curse a lot. You might think your little angel, Amber, is as straight as an arrow princess. But when she's at school, 
She's got a foul mouth. Could use a bar of my homemade soap to clean it out. And the Dodgers finished off the Giants last week. Two weeks ago, I think. Was it last week? Maybe it was last week. They advanced to the uh, NLCS. And it made me a little bitter about how the playoffs are set up in Major League Baseball. I know there are a lot of old school traditionalists. You know, they don't want to see changes made to baseball. But what happened wasn't fair to the Giants. They had the best record in baseball and had to play a five-game series against a team that was just one win behind them. Then the Dodgers, because they were technically the wild card team, they have to play a team with far fewer wins without home field advantage in the uh, championship series. Major League, these playoffs need to go the route of how the NBA sets it up. You seed teams first to fourth in each league where one plays four and two plays three in a five-game series. Then the winners of those two matchups meet for the pennant. The Giants should be playing the Braves right now, is what I'm saying. What happened to the Giants was miserable, and I feel for that team and its fans. Should have been a seven-game series, not five. Even if it meant that my Dodgers lost, at least those two teams could battle it out for you know National League supremacy. And I know great teams should be able to win whether they're at home or on the road. But this just made all that hard work that the Giants put in seem a little futile. They deserved a chance. And I I think they may have gotten the best of the Dodgers. And I'm a Dodger fan, okay? I just want the playoffs to be fair. The NCAA does it this way, as does the NBA. You take the top slot in a weak division and advance, then you got a team from a strong division who missed out by one game has to play you at home for four games. That's not right. How many times have we seen the NFL advance a division winner to the playoffs with a 500 record or worse? While you got teams in other divisions, they've got two or three more wins, they don't get in at all. That's horrible. It's not fair. It needs to be fixed. I had a friend of mine, he's all but given up on sports. And this is a guy, he was one of the biggest sports fans I've ever been around collects memorabilia from the golden age and everything. He got tired of how political athletes and owners have become, right? And I see his point. It's made me less and less interested. I'm all for activism, but don't be a fucking hypocrite. The misogyny that goes on behind closed doors, it's never addressed. A lot of these guys are fucking around on their wives when they're on the road. No, hell, people put Kobe up on a pedestal, but completely gloss over the fact that he faced legal trouble over a sex scandal himself. Then you got the whole Trevor Bauer situation. For every situation that comes to light, and there have been a lot, for each one that we know about, multiply it by at least 100, okay? It's messed up. Then you've got athletes who are in the middle of their contracts, or one year left, and they've decided they don't want to play for the team anymore, demand a trade. Take Ben Simmons, for example. Stands to make a lot of money this year, but doesn't like where the team is headed. So he refused to show up for camp. The team couldn't get a decent trade for him. So he shows up to practice. He's going to play the hero for doing his job. Then he gets to practice, shows no interest in playing basketball. I think they said he wasn't engaged. So the 76ers threw him out of practice and suspended him. These are grown adults, mind you, acting like children. They're making tens of millions of dollars to play a game. And it's not enough. Horseshit. Then you have Evander Kane. 
You remember me talking about him? He's a hockey player for the Sharks. Gambled away all his money. His wife said he was betting on his own team. Now he's been suspended because the NHL requires all uh, all players to be vaccinated. This knucklehead turns in a fake COVID vaccination card. What's up with this dipshit? You don't think the NHL is going to verify stuff like this? Ah, listen to me today. Lots of sports talk. It's all negative. <laughs> I also finally figured out why I like Succession on HBO so much. It's the same reason why I like watching Ozark on Netflix and why Seinfeld and Kirby Enthusiasm are so popular. All these shows contain characters that you love to hate. These people are fucking horrible, and you secretly root for them to fail. I know that sounds harsh, but think about it. I was talking about Kirby Enthusiasm with some friends of mine. I told them that the show's hilarious, but it makes me cringe when I watch it. They said that's the point. Imagine if a character like Larry David did those things in real life. He'd be dead by now. Someone would have taken him out, or he'd be friendless. Succession, it's dog-eat-dog. No one trusts anyone else. And you never know who's going to turn on who. And this is a family business. The father is a nasty motherfucker. His kids are all spoiled, soulless narcissists. Everyone else wants revenge on the father because he belittles people. I want to see them all go down. And I know I'm not alone. And Ozark, after last season, I hope they burn that whole thing down. We've invested this much time rooting for them. All right. Now we see who we're dealing with. And you want to see them all behind bars. Or at the very least, broke and lost. And again, this is make-believe, okay? I wouldn't wish this stuff on people in real life. It's just funny to me how these writers can manipulate how you feel about fictional characters. We're not watching Real Housewives here. All right, let's get to it. Here is a what if for you, and it's an honest question. If you lost your cell phone and had to call someone for help, would you know any of the numbers of your friends and family? I, for one, would not. Do you have phone numbers burned to memory? I knew my wife's, but that was it. Back in the day, we had phone numbers burned in our memories so we could dial them or we kept them in a safe place. And then they came out with speed dial. And pretty soon, you'd forget about numbers because all you had to do was pick up your phone and punch a button. You remember that? Now we no longer burn numbers into memory because we don't have to. We store them on our phones, rarely ever dial someone directly. We've automated our lives so much, we've become reliant on electronics to do everything for us. I've started putting important numbers in a small book. I keep it in my car just in case. I'm thinking I should do is just write them all on a card or a piece of paper that I keep in my wallet. It makes me feel like a dummy, like I've backed myself into a corner by relying on electronic address books so much. And I'm going to sound every one of my 56 years of age but I'm going to start taking a step backward here, okay? Just to be on the safe side. I mean, the more things seem to change, the more we want just to keep things the same. Like when your doorbell rings. If you're expecting company, that's one thing. Back in the day, you'd always answer the door. The first few years I lived here, I'd answer the door every time. Anyone rang the bell. Nine times out of ten, it was someone selling something. Door-to-door -door salesman. And the one time it would be my neighbor. 
And I'm always cordial with these solicitors. All right, I'm polite. I say, no, thank you. I don't slam the door in their face until they get pushy. Well, why not? Do you want to spend eternity in the depths of hell? Seriously, this woman said this to me. I said, yeah, that sounds good to me, actually. Have a great day. And I closed the door. I don't know how I could do I don't know. I couldn't even do that job. It's one thing if you're a kid selling cookies or magazine subscriptions, which I've gotten burned on twice before. Okay, don't ever do that. These are full-grown adults peddling their services or their church. I admire their conviction. All right, but my time cannot be wasted talking to you about it. And stop trying to save my soul. It's a lost cause. Hey, I want to do a little pimping here for a second. My buddy Eric co-hosts a show about automobiles. It's called Throwing Wrenches. If you're interested in cars, their inner workings, or need insight from professionals who are in the business, these are your men, Eric and Daryl. They came out with an episode about autonomous cars. It's the same week I talked about it. And I felt like an idiot. You know, self-driving cars? These guys know what they're talking about. I don't. And not to make a pun, but sometimes I just I need to stay in my lane. I can talk about food, relationships, movie making with some form of authority. But when it comes to cars, throwing fucking wrenches. And I'm, I'm not just saying that because Eric's my friend. He was the guy that got me into podcasting. I'm saying it because the dude knows his shit. You know when people say I know a guy? Well, when it comes to automobiles, I can safely say I know a guy. Throwinwrenches.com. Very entertaining show, even if you're not into cars. And now, I'd like to play a little social experiment here. Because I don't have the balls to do this in public. So I'm brainstorming it here. Because I know you guys get my sense of humor. You know you have all kinds of ringtones and sound alerts on your phone. You could use for different things. Phone calls or incoming texts or new email. Stuff like that. So let's say... You decide to use a custom ringtone just for text messages. And you keep your phone's volume on instead of putting it on vibrate or silencing your phone. Now, you're out in public and a text comes through and you hear your custom ringtone, which sounds like this. Okay, so if you know where that's from, you'll get the next part of this experiment. Should anyone hear your phone making this noise? and they look and they smile, or they laugh, or worse, frown upon you, you know that they know where that jingle comes from. Here is my question. Does anyone have the right to judge you for using this as your ringtone? Because if they recognize it, they've obviously been to the website where the song comes from. That would make them a hypocrite. would be an interesting social experiment if you played that in public and watched how many people made a face or had any reaction whatsoever. Hey, you looked. You've been spanking it. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know, you're in the dark, right? You don't know where this jingle comes from. It's the intro that's played before videos that are uploaded to a certain website famous for porn. My question is this. For the vast general public, this jingle would be innocuous, would it not? But for those who know where it comes from, what grounds do they stand to judge you for it? Of course, it would make you seem a bit creepy. 
I mean, I'm all for joking around, but I wouldn't go this far. This is a huge what-if-you-did-this scenario. Because when I hear grown adults say shit like, Ugh, porn is so gross. I'm immediately suspect of them. Don't be disingenuous. Say you don't have an opinion. Or you don't care. But don't deny it. Just a thought. And I watched this documentary on HBO last weekend called 15 Minutes of Shame. It dove into a handful of stories about people who were publicly shamed on social media and how it literally ruined their lives, cost them their jobs, money, mental health, even drove one woman to commit suicide. When Twitter and Facebook first started, people were using it in an innocent way. You know, it was, that's how it got addictive. They shared what they were up to, reconnected with people they'd lost contact with, even made new friends. It was a wonderful place. But then a situation arose. There was this woman who'd been a member of LA Fitness for like seven years. She got pregnant. Then her husband lost his job. So she asked LA Fitness to let her out of her contract because she couldn't afford it, given her circumstances. LA Fitness refused, and then they said that she could get out of her contract if she gave them something in the neighborhood of $500. At some point, this story made it to Twitter, and the rainstorm of tweets and retweets became a cyclone that eventually just made LA Fitness realize you know, this is becoming a PR nightmare, and they let her out of her contract. It was then that people realized the power of Twitter and began getting power hungry over it, and it snowballed from there. I need some water. Hold on. All right, I'm back. And that was a first. Listen. I say a lot of insipid shit on this show, okay? I hope you know that I don't mean to offend anyone with the stuff I say. You're not always going to agree with everything, and that's good. I don't want you to agree with everything. I'm just trying to be entertaining, okay? I want to make it a fun place to be for 30 minutes a week. Most of what I'm doing is comedy here, okay? At least I'm trying. And I don't care if I get one-star reviews. It's not for everybody. But I would never go out of my way to hurt anyone with this show. I don't use any social media to harm people. And that's the reason I keep my opinions to what you're hearing right here on the show. One simple misunderstanding on social media, it's game over for anyone. I would leave comments open on my life as a foodie for the longest time. But then people started getting nasty. So I closed them. Same with YouTube. Toxic shit, irregardless of what I was talking about. I like decent communication, and I'll take criticism. But when people start becoming mean-spirited and saying hateful things, I just can't take it. This is why you're seeing fewer and fewer comment sections on news sites now. There is one thing that can possibly slow the hate speech on social media. Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Have you ever heard of that? Section 230 states that no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. What this does is it protects my hosting service, for example, and my ISP, which provides me internet access, from any legal ramifications if someone decides to come after me for things that I might say on my podcast that they consider hate speech or that belittles them in some way. But it also protects Facebook and Twitter from being responsible for the hate speech and the threats that are made on their platform by their users. 
if the government, specifically the FCC, could find a way to retool that speech in that section or provide an, an addendum to it, that would specifically target social media networks and make them liable for taking down posts that contain the types of speech we're talking about here, that would be a step in the right direction. Because I'm telling you this, if I did actually say something hateful or racist or sexist that violated the Decency Act and my host was made aware of it, they'd come down on me in a Mississippi second. They don't tolerate that shit. And that's why I use them. You make Twitter or Facebook liable for this shit and you watch that algorithm get reshaped like never before. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see a mandatory one-month moratorium on online outrage. You see something online you don't like, you want to go bat shit over it? Wait one month and let's see if you still care about that thing or even remember it. Because I can assure you, there's going to be something you find online tomorrow that's going to piss you off. Then the day after that and the day after that, because people love to bitch about shit. They love to be outraged. And before you think I'm being a hypocrite, because I go off on a lot of shit on this show, especially my outrage on people being outraged, listen again. I'm not the one zeroing in on people like a Nazi airman gunning down innocent civilians. I go after bullies and people who are creating havoc, making the world, especially the online world, worse rather than better. Most of these online arguments are minor or futile, but there always has to be a winner because the world's filled with Karens who are so insecure with themselves, they've got to be right 100% of the time just to satisfy what's missing in their lives. And you'll wonder why I promote therapy so much. Freedom of speech is one thing. Freedom of hateful speech, that's another. Karens. <laughs> Don't you feel bad for all the nice women named Karen out there? That has to blow. I don't know where that name came from, or where, how that became, become a word to describe a whiny bitch, but it's stuck, and it sucks for all the actual Karens out there who are genuinely not a Karen. Hey, think about this for a second. How many times in your life, in any relationship, have you realized that you love someone and then you told them that you loved them? And how many times was it you who said it first? And how frightening was it when it was you who said it first? I've been in three relationships where I've said that to a woman. The first doesn't count because it was complete infatuation. It wasn't love. She broke me in, if you get my drift. I was confused. The next two were serious relationships that ended in marriage. In the first one, she said it first, and I was confounded, okay? took me close to a week to process this, soul-searching, and then I said it back. But it still scared the shit out of me. The second time, I said it first, which was even more frightening. I truly felt it, but that sense of rejection that you feel immediately after those words leave your mouth... They sent chills from my brain to my balls straight down to my toes. I couldn't help but think that I'd screwed the pooch on this relationship. I was overcome. Everything, not just her looks, but how we got along, how we could finish each other's sentences, same sense of humor, and I'd known her less than a month. Scared the shit out of me. Especially because I'd, I'd just come from a two-decade-long love affair. Of course, she volleyed it right back at me. Maybe she was afraid to say it first. I don't think she ever had to say it first, as it turns out. But what I've learned is that love can be frightening. 
right? It's easy to love a pet. They fall in love with you pretty quick, right? You never have to wonder if they do or if they don't. They show it. It's in their actions. It's in their face. But humans, we're a different ball of wax. We torment ourselves over this. And once those words cross your lips, you're in the weeds. If you say I love you to someone, you better mean it. Because there's a lot of responsibility that comes with those words. I see it to my friends. Not all of them. Some I like. They're just great to be around. But those who are my brothers and my sisters, I tell them I love them. Because I do. They've gotten me through quite a bit. They were there for me. I've, I've always been there for me. And I've always been there for them. We hug a lot. Now, sometimes you can tell someone loves you just from a hug. They don't have to tell you. You already know. I remember going back to work after it happened with Katrina. I was kind of floating that day, not really present. My supervisor asked me if anything was wrong. So I told her what had transpired over the weekend. It turns out her husband's the general manager. And this guy used to like to give me a lot of shit. He tells me I'm not really in love. So I argued with him. Who the fuck is he to say that? It's not in my head. So he asked me to describe love. I told him it's different for everyone. All right. But for me, it's that feeling that when I'm not with her, I'm thinking about being with her. And when I'm with her, I don't want to be anywhere else. Love is that feeling you get when you'd rather do nothing with that person than anything with anyone else. I feel connected to her. I feel incomplete without her. That's what love is to me. Dread, on the other hand, is what I'm feeling for you right now. (laughs) You know, this guy was a real doozy. He'd push my buttons, man. And I was one of the few people who worked there who would push him right back. We almost got in a fight. We almost came to blows one day. He made fun of my shoes. Again, I was young, all right? Cut me some slack. A good friend of mine, he was a pastor at our local church. He came by the hospital the day after, you know, the, the day that Katrina passed. He spent time with me and we prayed over Katrina. And uh, he told me one of the greatest things I've ever been told about my relationship with her. When people say Phil and Katrina, when they would say Phil and Katrina, it always sounded like one single word, not three. You know, we were a unity. We weren't separate entities. And it made me feel good to hear that. But it immediately made me feel sad because that was no longer true in a physical sense. So thinking back to that day, when my boss questioned my love for her, I can safely say I was right and he was wrong. And I told my friend that love is the greatest thing that can happen to you, but also the cruelest. Because someday, it's going to break your heart. That's inevitable. And that's all I've got for you. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Until next time, my name is Phil, and this has been a name. Cheers. Cheers.